thanks for joining me on another episode of Foxfire Fringe Radio. I'm your host, Foxfire, coming to you all the way from Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada. And I'm coming to you with a little bit of the news today, some things uh, happening, which is kind of exciting. Um, You decide whether it's uh, truth or not truth. This is the show, folks, where anything and anything is possible. Uh, Give me a shout, leave me a voice message, give me an email, we'll set you up, do some interviewing, and have you on the show. So I'm going to be back right after this. I've got some great stuff to talk about today, and I hope you join me. Foxfire Fringe Radio. Uh, we're going to be talking about some really interesting things in the news currently. But the first thing I want to talk about is the 10-year anniversary of CERN, a Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland. Um, and the only thing, it's interesting because my brother was over in France and he popped down there and kind of brought me back a little trinket. And um, so I have a really nice little tote bag with the CERN logo on it. <laughs> um, but it made me look it up. And so I went online and I said, oh my goodness, it's actually 10, 10 years uh, this year. Um, I think just a few days ago, actually the 10th of September in 2008, it was uh, turned on. And I remember, um, you know, the the frenzy in the media and the public were sort of scared of it creating a huge black hole. And, you know, because the science communities felt that you know, if we were smashing protons and atoms at each other, then, you know, at fast speeds, then, you know, it was going to create some kind of like, you know, big bang or something, right? Um, but what we didn't know is that we were going to find a particle that um, would change uh, the face of science in in physics forever, which is the Higgs and Bos- Boson uh, particle. Um, and essentially, it uh, basically travels a little bit faster than the speed of light. It um, acts uh, differently than than uh, a photon and uh, than uh, than we imagined. So, uh, if you were to do an experiment with a um, sheet of paper, and you can look this up on YouTube, there's very many um, documentaries on this particular scientific uh, uh, discovery. Um, you throw the photons through uh, one slit in a piece of paper, and it comes out. And the other side is one line. Same thing with the the uh, particle and does the same thing essentially um and but then you split it into two lines and you have two lines of particles and only still one line of light which makes sense right but then you put three lines and something oddly interesting happens um the one line with the photons uh, being you know lights um going through uh we'll say laser um creates uh you know again the one line uh, but the particles act in an interesting way. Uh, they start to, uh, sorry, they, um, not the, the, the light, sorry, the, the photon light, the ray splits up, sorry, into separate lines as it would a, a wave of light, right? So it sort of stops and starts in different places. And so you're going to come up with like lots of different lines uh, as a reflection of that light. Now, the particles start acting in that same manner. And so therefore... 
um, they got closer and they started examining it um, in a closer way. And when they observed it closer, it went back to the way that it naturally worked. So as the observer, um, it literally changed the outcome of what they were viewing. So in a nutshell, basically, they're saying now that we have a direct relationship with how particles react, um, that us creating our own sort of environmental matter, our cognitive process, how we uh, view and decipher and um, uh, code and decode things is literally related to everything around us. So we actually are the creators of our own uh, timeline, you know, kind of thing, right? So it really opened up a whole box of, of questions and, 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 you know, kind of people going back to the drawing board and recalculating certain things and how, you know, the theory of relativity and with electricity and magnetism and, and, and light and how it all reacts together. But, you know, they're just smashing photons at each other and this comes, but they also come out with some interesting other, um, information which you know I don't think was released to the public in which they decide they discovered that by doing this each time um it passed uh the speed of light uh even by a fraction of a second something would change something changes in our own timeline something is merging with something else another timeline potentially and I watched this documentary on um this lecture that this scientist was giving he was also a psychologist he had two doctrines and he was talking about the effects of CERN and this process and how, you know, the side effects could potentially create a sort of dual timeline in which half of the population has these memories of certain events and half of the population has, you know, these memories of the same events, but in a different way. Um, and of course it can be explained away by psychologists as having, you know, false memories, which are implanted in the mind because your mind can't fill, it has to fill a gap. So if there's something that you don't remember in between something else, it'll fill it. And you believe that to be the, the true memory, but it isn't, it's a false memory. So with that being said, for example, if you watch a movie and in one point of the movie, something is said, like, for example, no, I am, I am not your something or another. And then you, uh, have the scene of Star Wars in your, in your mind where, you know, he's at the, the pessimists and, you know, Darth Vader is saying, Luke, I am not your father. I am your father. Right. Um, but then you play the tape back today, uh, if you find it online, which is a crazy phenomenon on itself, the internet. I think it's like another, <laughs> it's like a Bermuda Triangle, really, in a sense, but it's cognitively like a Bermuda Triangle. You can you can find all sorts of information there, but who knows what's real, what isn't, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, but basically, um, so basically, uh, uh, this lecture, this, this gentleman, I can't recall his name at this particular time, but he's going on to say that, yes, it can be explained by false memories, but because it's such a grand scale of things, it's on such a grander, like there's so many people that have the same, same remembering of Yes, it was Luke, I am your father, which I remember it to be so. And others say, no, it was no, I am your father. I remember that as clear as day. I've had a friend tell me and I'm like, no, it's not. It's Luke, you know, so we have this argument. And so, you know, you go online, you look it up and you say, oh, this is a weird phenomena called the Mandela effect. Well, 
um, you know, it can be explained away again by psychology and false memories and or potentially the social experiments of certain government agencies going back to MK Ultra or Project Bluebeam, in which they are trying to manipulate us into believing um, that we are having false memories for some sort of agenda, whether that be something they're changing with CERN and they're sort of trying to um, they're trying to decipher how we're going to react to changes in memory or if they can control us or change our memories. I don't know what. But anyway, it's really weird and bizarre. It's out there. That conspiracy theory is there. Check it out. Um, but going back to the original... Um, uh, Hedron Collider itself. Uh, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> um, you can go watch this movie. It's called, um, it's called what the bleep do we know? And in this, uh, documentary, and I can't remember what year it was. I mean, there's so many, right? There's like, you can go on and <clears throat> there's one called, um, the large Hedron Collider. There's another one called CERN portals and fallen angels. There's Horizon insert CERN to TV special. Um, there's another, a lot of them on YouTube just created by individuals. Um, uh, another one called, um, uh, wait now, where is it here? I'm just, uh, the CERN documentary, which is, I believe that's on YouTube and that's the gentleman. It's only about 10, 15 minutes long, maybe 20 minutes long. And that is the gentleman that talks about all the different, um, ex explanations as to why, uh, the Mandela effect happens, which is really kind of interesting. But then there's um, uh, the hunting for nerd neutrinos, which is um, another CERN documentary. Uh, then Particle Fever came out in 2013, which is phenomenally good. You should check that out. Uh, um, then there's a cool YouTube channel called CERN Watch. You should check that out too. Uh, experience CERN 360. That's another sort of interesting little little take. Uh, CERN Watch is another little cool little documentary. They talk about um, extra dimensions and gravity and things like that. Uh, there's one that came out in 2015 called Symmetry, and then of course the TV movie in 2013 just titled CERN S E R N, or sorry C R C E R N. Um, but yeah, what the bleep do we know was really cool because there's this one scene in it where they're talking about how excited they are about this, this project and, you know, they're kind of nervous because they really don't know what's going to happen, but it's like the best thing to ever, ever scientific breakthrough in all of history. Uh, they are working, uh, directly with this other small lab, um, about, you know, a couple hundred miles away and they're like a brother and sister corporation. They do all the analysis, whatever. I think it's demi lab or semi lab i have to look it up but yeah um anyway and so basically um this has been going on for 10 years so it's the anniversary of the 10 years it's really cool they they are um uh taking a break for upgrades and sort of that kind of thing right now it will be going back online 2020 which is really bizarre for me um, to think about because there's a lot of things happening in 2020 in my life personally. <laughs> but anyway, um, I just find that date really interesting. And then um, couple that with all of the weird things that are going on around the world makes you wonder why they turned it off. Is it for upgrades? Did they discover something? Did they make another scientific breakthrough besides the Hogs, the Higgs-Boggs uh, particle, which really opened the door for all of science? Um, and... It's just really fascinating to note that, you know, this Hedron Collider is literally smashing protons at speeds of like, like it's phenomenal, right? But in this movie, going back, I'm sidetracked, going back to this movie called What the Bleep Do We Know? It is really interesting to know, if you watch this, there's a scene in there where they're showing two, there's two separate 
scenes. One is with a scientist. He's got a beard. Another is a, some lady. I don't know really what her names were at this point. I watched it years and years ago. But they have these, like, pieces of paper. And it's, like, this happy kind of music celebration. And they're showing, like, everybody being excited. But if you pay close attention to this one scene where the guy is, like, taking a piece of paper and he's got something written on it. And it's going over his face and away from his face. And over his face and away from his face. And on his lap are two billboards that they wrote. One is called Bond One which is, I believe, a social experiment with the media and movie industry. And then where they're manipulating certain things in the timeline, which is creating Mandela effect. And two, it's called, it's Mandela, which is the Mandela effect itself with false memories, right? So are they creating false memories or are they creating memories of another timeline that we are being merged with? So here's my question to you. If you go and watch this, what do you think about it? Give me your answers. Um, shoot me up with some voicemail in the uh, Anchor app. You can email me, message me, Facebook me, whatever you want to do. If you want to do an interview, we'll put you on the air. Uh, even co-host with me, right? We'll have a little chit-chat about it. But I find it really fascinating to note that he's doing that thing with the paper. And in my mind, the way my mind works is I sort of decode things. I'm always, I've always been really good at puzzles. I like to figure things out and take everything apart and look at it at every single angle. Um, so I guess in a sense, I do have sort of a scientific mind. But um, if you analyze it, you'll see that, okay, what does, in my mind, I say, oh, the paper's going off the face and on the face. What is that? Is that the face as in changing the faces of time, changing time? Is it a, ch a face change? Uh, uh, what, like, uh, is it reality changing? Is it, you know what I'm saying? It's very interesting that they're doing that. What other purpose, why they, would they be doing that? It's like, they're not playing hide and seek. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they're grown adults. What does that have to do with the whole documentary? Nothing. So they're trying to communicate something to us through this documentary. And for those that have that sort of mind um, ability to sort of um, analyze and and make sense of things that maybe other people don't see, um, you know, I think that's there for a reason. Now, maybe I'm just overthinking it all, being paranoid or whatever. But I think it has a lot to do with them saying, listen, hey, we are changing bits and pieces of the timeline. One is called the Bond uh, social experiment in which they're manipulating uh, the media, like such as movies, music, things like that, books, whatever, of our memories of things. Um, well, not necessarily our memories, but just the, the reality of it, right? So there's two different realities taking place and they're being merged together. Why? Is there something they know of the future that's coming and they're trying to prevent it? Who knows? Okay, these are just all theories. And they're all explanations, but I mean, we don't know what is what, obviously, we're just sort of throwing the ideas out there to, you know, sort of illuminate the mind a bit and uh, take you out of that depth of darkness that maybe you never really thought about this before. So, um, taking you to the Fox Fire, I guess, the depths of the ocean. <laughs> but that show is really cool. And, like, it happens with the woman, too. And on her desk, there is a stack of papers. Like, there's papers everywhere. Like, they have, you know, basically written, like, 4,000, you know, papers on this since it started 10 years ago and you know on the desk itself there's um it says disney <laughs> honestly it says disney and it says something else something else something else and it all it brings to mind snow white with the magic mirror on the wall and mirror mirror which are the two separate um effects people are experiencing since a few years back um and the mandela which is interesting to note that that is the actual name they've given the phenomena of these these split memories of between people um, in which uh, 
so many people remember Mandela dying in 2008 in jail of some sort of illness. Um, and I remember specifically the funeral. They broadcasted on the air, the grieving wife, everything. I remembered everything. And then in 2013, when the news said Nelson Mandela was just released from prison, or um, not just released from prison, but had been released from prison and, and had died. This was the date of his death in 2013. I was like shocked because I thought, that's how can that be? He's already dead. I don't get this. Did they, did they, what, did he not die and they just got it wrong and they didn't broadcast? Like what, you know what I mean? So either that was a false memory and somebody was talking about something on the news about him having a sickness, but then cut to another thing in which somebody did die and in my mind merged the two together, creating a false memory or it actually happened that way. And my timeline is now merged with somebody else's timeline in which they remember him dying in 2013, which is this timeline, which is not my own, right? This is how the Mandela effect, the phenomena is explained. And so in CERN, you see the two billboards, one's Bond one and the second's Mandela. Check it out. You're going to be interested. Coming up back right after this, we're going to talk about really cool changes with some information they found out about the moon <clears throat> being a giant magnet, so to speak. Stay with me. Back to Foxfire Fringe. So in the news, we were talking about CERN and some other properties regarding Mandela effect and different types of dimension and explanations as to false memories and things like that. But what else, and that it's his 10-year anniversary anniversary. But in addition to that, I found a really cool article on the moon. Now, a little background about the moon. The moon has this really interesting um well, they did this really interesting article a few years back, um, talking about the um, that there was um, that the that the Earth acted more like a planet than it did an asteroid. Uh, sorry, the moon acted more like a planet than it did an asteroid. Um, they they still consider it a quote unquote one of the satellites because it illuminates us and um, it has sort of magnetic properties to to Earth as far as the gravitational pull on the tides and things like that. We're directly correlated to each other. Now, I've I've always been somebody who believes that um, that believed that. Uh, that the Earth could have, that the Moon could have been originally Earth's twin, um, and that our original Moon got bumped out of orbit, which is what surrounds the rings of Saturn. Now, a lot of other theorists believe this too, but you know, there's no real proof um, scientifically. Uh, however, now they're discovering that um, the Moon has more properties that are very close to what Earth is now, but was a long time ago. For example, um, there are um, uh, papers written on the fact that it has been discovered that there is lava 
ancient lava that uh, at, the, at the core would create electromagnetic field and this would last for millions of years. So at one point in time, you know, the moon had this almost the same properties as earth. And we just recently found out that there's, that there's uh, water on the moon um, possibly. And that at one point in time, uh, because uh, it's farther away from us, it was closer to us. And, um, and it's quite possible that, you know, it was our twin planet. A lot of people think we came from the moon, but you know, it, it's not that far fetched. It's the closest planet to us. Um, if not Mars, but, um, one thing's that's one thing that's interesting about the moon is its properties. So I'm going to read a quick little article on what's going on with the properties of the moon, um, with respect to moon swirls. So on uh, NBC News, uh, they're talking about space and uh, the mysterious moon swirls, which have finally been explained. Um, quote, it says, um, this was the final piece of the puzzle of understanding the magnetism that underlines these lunar swells. So this was posted on the 10th of September. Uh, you can go to space.com to read it. Uh, the uh, writer, I believe, was Chelsea Goad. And she goes on to say, light and dark markings swirl over the moon, looking like cream swirled into coffee or clouds against the slate gray sky. These lunar swirls may result from ancient magnetic lava just below the moon's surface, according to one new study. A joint study between researchers at Rutgers University and the University of California in Berkeley pointed to the moon's internal generated magnetic field, the past volcanic activity to explain the lunar swirls. And if you go there, there's a really cool, like, little image of, of the moon NASA took of, um, from the resonance orbiter. Um, and it goes on to say, researchers have known for some time that lunar swirls share space with localized magnetic fields. And that when those fields deflect particles from solar winds, part of the moon's surface weather more slowly than other parts. But the cause of those magnetic fields and thus of the swirls themselves had long been a mystery. Sonia Tico, co-author of the study and the researcher at Rutgers University, New Brunswick Department of Earth and Planetary Sciences, said in a statement, to solve it, we had to find out what kind of geological feature could produce these magnetic fields and why their magnetism is so powerful. So they developed uh, mathematical models for these localized fields or geological magnets, as they're described in the statement. The models show that each lunar swirl must exist above a narrow magnetic object located just below the lunar surface. Even stranger, researchers think that, the, that these subsurface magnetic objects are ancient, long, narrow lava tubes formed by flowing lava or lava dikes, which are vertical sheets of magma in the crust of the moon or the planet. Past experiments have shown that when heated above 1,112 degrees Fahrenheit, which is basically 600 degrees Celsius, in a zero oxygen environment, certain minerals in moon rocks break down and release um, metallic iron, making the rocks extremely magnetic. So when the moon was erupting lava over 3 billion years ago, these magnetic lava tubes or lava dikes were likely created and became highly magnetic as they cooled down, according to the statement. No one had thought about this reaction in terms of explaining these unusual strong magnetic features on the moon. Tico goes on to say that in the statement, referring to the lava becoming magnetic moon rock under the surface and causing lunar swirls, this was the final piece in the puzzle of understanding the magnetism that underlines these lunar swirls. 
So it's kind of a fun little story. Um, you know, um, this particular scientist, Tico, was in another article in 2014 in which she talks about how um, the magnetic field of the moon is very weak in comparison to that of Earth, but other major differences are that the moon does not currently have a dipolar magnetic field as would be generated by a geodynamo in its core, and the varying magnet magnetization that it presents is almost entirely crustal in origin um, and that they were going to do further studies on Wikipedia apparently it says here but um, but uh, in in this one particular article um, she talks about the um, magnetic field and its ancient moon's mega magnetic field um, where the uh, sphere represents, you know, uh, basically a magnetic field like us that we had on Earth, but it comes from the core um, as well. So it, I'm just going to quote something here she wrote. It's really interesting. It says, despite um, that she said, uh, her and another individual. So there's a guy by the name of Benjamin Weiss from MIT. And of course, this particular scientist, Sonia Tico of the University of California, Berkeley at the time, concluded that the magnetic field originated from flowing materials inside the moon. So they, so they already did this. And now they're saying that they understand why the electromagnetic field is there um, still, despite all the things that are going on with the moon. So you have to think that it's only about 1% of the Earth's mass, Okay. And this, this scientist wise says that, you know, this tiny little thing seems to have generated a whopping magnetic field lasting for an extremely long time, longer than you might think would be possible. So they go on to explain that when a rock heats up, some of the electrons inside can move freely. In the presence of a magnetic field, these electrons will align with the field, creating regions of rock similar to a bar magnet. I'm going to read that again. <laughs> When a rock heats up on the moon, some of the electrons inside can move freely. In the presence of a magnetic field, these electrons will align with the field. The electromagnetic field is created, okay? Creating regions of rock similar to a bar magnet. So take that statement, apply it to ancient Egypt, and we got a whole other podcast, folks. <laughs> But as it goes on, it says the rock cools, the electrons can no longer alter their orientation, and the aligned electrons create their own magnetic field. While the modern moon lacks a global magnetic field, magnetized rocks offered a record of what the lunar magnetic field was like when they cooled down billions of years ago. So they go on to talk about the earth as it produces its field through the motion of molten rock sloshing around in the outer core, creating a dynamo, which is a setup where electrically conductive fluid moving inside a magnetic field induces a secondary magnetic field. Um, but they say the moon's puny size means that it would cool off relatively quickly, so more quick than earth, and that a magnetic field created by the moon um, as hot interior alone could not have persisted for hundreds of millions of years. But eventually, the two competing explanations by these scientists emerged, and either some outside force helped stir the lunar interior and drove the dynamo, or the magnetic rocks were created by short-lived fields, so magnetic fields, produced during violent asteroid impacts. They came to realize that it had nothing to do with asteroid impacts, that the, that the moon itself... Um, 
acted more like a planet than it did an asteroid. So the dynamo cam came um, be, uh, occurred uh, on its uh, on its own in relative to the magnetized lunar crust. Okay. So they're going to talk about the amount of radioactivity um, uh, in the potassium inside that basically decayed into stable argon. And using this technique, they found the most strongly magnetized rock samples dating back to 4.25 to 3.56 billion years ago. And that a magnetic field persisted for more than billions of years. So the moon rock contains crystals, many of them fractions of a millimeter wide, that formed as, a, as the rock solidified. Um, and in lab experience, experiments, scientists found that longer it took the rock to cool, the larger the resulting crystal allowing researchers to use crystal size to determine how long a rock was hot and its electrons susceptible to alignment by the magnetic fields. So cooling times varied for the rocks between 100 to 10,000 years, uh, between 100 days and 10,000 years. So that's how they could determine how long ago these were created. But superheated plasma created when large asteroids slammed into a lunar surface can produce a magnetic field for at most only one or two days. So since the rock took significantly longer to cool, then scientists could rule out asteroids as the main driver of ancient lunar magnetism. The ancient magnetic field must have originated from a dynamo, not asteroids. So the moon is in many respects like a planet, rather than something like an asteroid, as many other moons in the solar system are, Wise says. The moon is layered. It has a core. It had volcanism. We now know it generated a magnetic field. So when you take that and you couple it with the new information we've learned, it really goes to show you that we don't know everything, obviously, and that the moon has a lovely history and it's mysterious. And we've always been drawn to the moon. And I think we're getting closer and closer to figuring out what is going on there and how it impacts us as a planet. So essentially, if the moon is an entirely large, just huge ass magnet, then essentially it's holding us where we need to be. And if that's the case, and that could possibly change the entire uh, ideal behind how our solar system works with one another, why we are held where we are. Obviously, there's a gravitational pull, but gravitation and magnetism basically coupled together explains it all. But if you take into effect that the moon was a, could have been originally an Earth-like planet that had oxygen, was closer to Earth, closer to the sun, acted like our planet, it's possible that it could have been our twin Earth. Um, so what then, or where then, is our original moon? Well, <clears throat> I feel that um, there's a lot of theories out there. We could talk about Nibiru, Planet X. Um, we could talk about its orbit. We could talk about how it's the um, 12th planet. We could talk about how it collided at one point in history every 200,000 or 27,000 years into our, into our orbit and knocks things off kilter, asteroids, small things, whatever. But at some point in time, did collide with our original moon. Excuse me. <clears throat> and that is what surrounds the asteroid belt. 
And because the moon was a magnet um, and had magnetic properties, it stays there and it basically pulls any other magnetic asteroid into the belt, which protects our planet um, and whatnot. So, interesting facts. What do you think about it? Shoot me up. Send me some voice clips and <coughs> an email. Oh my gosh, I'm so sick today. I'll be back right after this. Hi, welcome back to Foxfire Fringe Radio. We're just going to wrap up with a little quote here from a really interesting website. It's a little hokey pokey, but I like hokey pokey. It's kind of fun. A um, little out there, but, you know, it's interesting. But this here I'm going to read is interesting to me because it speaks volumes, and I'll let you guys decide what how you feel about it. Shoot me up in the voicemail box on Anchor, or Facebook me, or email me, um, and we'll get your thoughts on the next episode. So, to wrap up the segment, we're going to talk about what's called timelines shift. There are many subtle force uh, reconfigurations occurring at the quantum level of the planetary mainframe that are changing the way the external and collective energy fields organize and manifest into the world. This has shifted the way the original human race blueprint relays its intelligent information into the collective conscious fields of Earth, which people coin term Akashic Record for those of you who are just tuning into the show. When the collective fields shift in this way, it means there has been a frequency shift in the collective agreement that impacts the overall consciousness evolution on the planet. Therefore, the timelines begin to shift. As current timelines shift, it also shifts the coordinate location and energetic contents of the past and future timelines existing on the Earth plane. All at the same time, there are powerful infusions of plasmic light and new time codes that are filtering onto the Earth as we pass through the Silver Gate, an intersection point that exists between two circuit paths, the path of the Sun and the galactic equator, which opens a gateway in between the Taurus and Gemini constellations as the Sun transits through Gemini. The transmission of its zodiac principle greatly influences the Earth body and therefore influences the behavior in the collective consciousness of the humanity. Currently, the pressures are high to synthesize the pairs of opposites that exist in the world of forces to evolve beyond the lower-density black substance that has been buried in the collective consciousness fields of the Earth. A lot of that black substance has been manifested into timelines from embedded alien architecture, possibly, which imitate the Mother's Creation Principle and is what the dark entities tend to hijack. If you want to talk about fallen angels or Anunnaki and things like that. Um, the building up of the pressure in between these opposing forces and groups is reaching its peak, which, you know, could be considered spiritual warfare if you want to take it that way. This is a greatly amplified um, field collectively, especially during the summer solstice through mid-July as planetary timelines shift. The new timelines are to transcend the previous histories of the hybridization and the destructive victimizer programming that has been installed in the lower collective consciousness, which, you know, you could look to MKUltra, look to Project Bluebeam, look to any social project or any social experiment that any scientist has ever put on on. Uh, the military programs, the university students in the 60s, the current um, 
manipulation of, of celebrities and things like that. Control. Mind control, in a sense. Um, and it's a lower collective consciousness, so it's a lower frequency. It's a deeper, darker place that one could consider um, resonates on a different frequency, which um, we are not supposed to resonate on. We're supposed to resonate on a higher frequency, a lovely, beautiful plane. And we are trying to transcend to this place where we actually belong. Um, these new timelines are similar to an airplane runway that is designed to help bridge the current reality of Earth that is the result of accumulated energies of the past destructive histories, which then will connect with the higher reality potentials of the divine human on the future Earth. So we're on the runway that leads to our higher consciousness, our higher reality, potentials in the future timeline now. Not everyone is on the same timeline. Try to remember this fact to help bring greater comfort when experiencing intense, sudden, and spontaneous life-altering changes that are more likely to occur during this time. As timeline shifts, it changes previous trigger events recorded throughout history and thus has a chain reaction that changes future memories in the ancestral and genetic code of the planetary tribal identities. And the planetary architecture is transmitting the ancient history of humanity's true origins from the ancient builder races as the original instruction set is transmitted from the awakening Albodian body. Our species memory goes much further back before the seedlings of the planetary tribal identities. This informs the collective consciousness field or the Kashuk record and other non-human species and that humanity did not come from the Anunnaki or other off-planet races, or those races that were involved in genetically modifying and cloning the human genome in the past. Um, the alternate body holds the Holy Father and Holy Mother principle in the earth. As these bodies gradually unify, they are releasing more original coding into the collective consciousness fields, which contain the true identity of the ancient builder races or the guardian host. This event directly changes many of the historical timelines and are recorded upon the earth. These recent transmissions have set up a new future time factor that impacts locations and coordinates recorded throughout time and thus it shifts the individual and group consciousness timeline. Some of the group conscious timelines undergoing radical shifts are connected to the planetary tribal affiliations, refugee races, and the fallen infiltrations in, in the Hebrew and the Essene tribe hosting in history. The fallen uh, angels were being run by imposter spirits through victimized archetypes used to control others through the false king of tyranny belief systems. This could be also connected or explained away by biblical uh, times and revelations between the Antichrist and, of course, Christ himself. And they use this information um, here as well to explain um, why participation um, by certain earth peoples uh, with genocide and blood sacrifice with different earth groups and subjecting people to servitude of fallen angelics. But with all that being said, and as hokey as it sounds, we are being transported through a timeline as the opportunity is given to us to transcend our limitations by seeing the unhealed issues that keep us tethered to the lower energies in the 3D timeline. As we are being pushed rapidly through old timelines, it can feel that we are being pummeled with the dark energies of past obstacles, but it is important to recognize why this is happening and to not give up. 
Many of these dark obstacles are held in place by uh, fallen angelics, and we have to face them and see their painful emotional theme. One could also consider this as negative energy, a lower frequency. And in order to ask of our heart what we may have bargained away in the effort to not see the larger truth, we can get to that deeper theme of truth. We will see the causation and dissolve the energy which then ceases to be an obstacle. And then we can reach higher points of transcendence, elevating us to rise above these dark obstacles that previously manifested as blockages in our highest expression and purpose. In order to access the resources available to help transcend old timelines in limiting situations, we must be willing to put forth the effort and time to heal ourselves, see the core of the truth in the matter, and forgive the past patterns in order to release them. As we reaffirm our spiritual connection and dedication to practicing unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness, we are able to transcend many of the obstacles that accumulated between lifetimes directing healing and transcending energy to other identities while healing aspects that may be trapped in other timelines. That's it for today, folks. Tell me what you think. Until next time, be good humans, be good to yourselves, enjoy life, illuminate your mind.